Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is A Lot To Learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. Uh, I have no idea what time it is. This is a podcast and people listen to podcasts whenever they might. Today is going to be exciting because it's sort of a confluence between what I allegedly do other than podcast host and what our guest does because today we have Tobin Ellis who is the owner of Bar Magic Las Vegas, that's where we are. We are in the Palms Place, Palms Place Residences and Hotel in Las Vegas. And Tobin is a nightlife and hospitality architect, designer, beverage consultant. He has his own line of bar equipment. He's everything hospitality and nightlife all in one. And we're going to find out how he got there. Tobin, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. This is pretty fascinating. Yeah, welcome to Vegas. I haven't been here in a couple years. The Aria, that's a new one, right? Yeah, there's new casinos that pop up. That one is huge. Yeah. Yeah, but everything else looked pretty much the same, I don't think. Or maybe this actual Palms Tower is new itself, too. That other one. Or maybe this one. One of these is new. I think where you're sitting is right, it now, this one right wasn't now wasn't here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, Vegas is Vegas. You see the cranes on the horizon, so who knows what's coming next. And you are a Vegas resident. I am, 19 years. 19 years in Vegas. Go Knights, go. Ah, uh, what a season they had. And are having. I mean, amazing. That was what, what, a, what a, I hate to use the, uh, the Bill Murray, a Cinderella story, but it really was. It really was a Cinderella story. I mean, and, and so actually, let's just start sort of with the, the ethos, the myth of Vegas, you know, from the outsider's perspective, it, it seems hard to find community in Vegas, but then once I came here with a friend of mine who was working at the Four Seasons, and we went out into Vegas and then there's this great camaraderie of everyone who lives here because they know they're all in the shit together because everyone is in service. Everyone is in service, right? Yeah, it's an interesting place to live for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that the kind of the, those really the maybe the mythos more of of living here and uh, you know it's people are, a lot of times they'll be like, uh, wow, do you live on the strip? Do you do you live in a casino? <laughs> and and it's understandable, but when people have those kind of notions, I especially when they're from New York, I just turn around and I'm like, do you, do you live? Do you, in this? Yeah. do you live in Times Square? <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's it's we have a we have a tourist district, and then we have you know two million people that live around it, and <laughs> so it's uh, it's a real city. I do actually have a friend who lives in Times Square. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it happens. Sure, yep. I bet the food's great. Well, um, it happens to be just above. Of the bar that he works at. So his commute is walk downstairs into the bar. Smart man. No, or not. Well, if he likes uh, it. If, if uh, someone calls out, who gets that phone call to sub in? Phone call? They probably just bang oh, on the yeah, ceiling. With the, hey, with the Barry, phone. get your yeah. ass down here. Matt Gerber, Matt Gerber, get down here. I'm eight deep. Get down here. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about this bar industry. You know, a lot of people, they, they don't... Sh- poo-poo on it, but they're like, oh, bartending, what do, what went wrong, or what do you do actually? Whenever someone's behind the bar, it's like, what do you want to do? Yeah, so are you in school? So what's your real job? Yeah. It was, so sure. you've, been, you've probably been facing this for 19 years, right? Uh, when did you do? 30. 30 actually, years. Yeah. So you started behind the sticks too. Let's, yep. let's go through it. What, sure. uh, where, where, do we, where, do we, uh, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably when I was 16 and threw a high school party in Arundacoid on the beach. Um, that's probably what started it. But I started bartending in college uh, at Oswego, uh, Sunny Oswego. Yep. And I worked in a bunch of little dives and I actually started at the college catering facility. And I started as a dishwasher, a bar back, and then Kind of, you know, as, as happens, you kind of just end up being behind the bar. You realize that's probably the most fun and the most money and um, and, and might lead to something. Um, so that was the really the start of it all was was in Oswego working in dive bars. Right. Uh, popping, popping. Uh, what do we got up there? Jenny's? 
Oh yeah, Jenny Light, but that's really Jenny Light's more of a Rochester thing. This is more the Syracuse area, so probably uh, got Batty it. Blues, Batty Lights. All right, all right, yep, yep, yep. Well, my bar, the Gaff, is a Bill's bar, so we are always stocked with the uh, the Labats and uh, yep. and the Jennies and stuff sure. like that. Yeah. yeah. Great beers. Absolutely, man. Totally Gen- underrated. Genesee Brewing, hometown. What's yeah. up, Dolly? Yeah. Um, so so when when did you figure you're like, this is this is the lifestyle, this is the livelihood, or were you like some other bartenders were like, this is my transitionary era? Or was this just like pump, I got this? You know, I'm just I'm kind of a freak. I knew almost instantly that this is something I wanted to do. I awesome. Yeah, no, I don't, that's a great answer. I don't think I had any idea like, um, you know, this is going to be my career for life. I started studying architecture in high school when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really into computers and design and drawing and all kinds of other things. But um, I, I we were at a bar in Oswego and there was a bartender back there and I just was watching her t- interacting with everyone on a very kind of even playing field. She seemed like she could just walk up and start a conversation with anybody. It was right. Very social. And I'm watching and she walks over and she just makes this offhanded comment after we talk for a minute. She goes, you know, you'd be really good at this. And I looked at her and I said, this looks fun. And I, it clicked. I'm like, I need to get back there. So then that was my mission was to get behind the bar. Yep. And um, yeah, I fell in love with it instantly um, and never really looked back. Uh, I always knew I wanted to probably take it somewhere. Yep. Uh, but I, I am a weirdo who I love making drinks if i'm in a room and it has a bar you're straight there my happiest place is to be behind that bar any situation yeah i'd much rather take care of people from behind the bar than be on the other side of it i mean i so you know i came to bartending in the way that you know people say what went wrong i'll tell you exactly what no i'll tell you exactly (laughs) what went wrong i got laid off from an advertising job i blew through my severance i started dipping into my savings i go this is terrible Luckily, I am a functioning alcoholic of sorts, and my friend, I've been a local at a bar for 18 years or whatever, at this point, like 16 or 15 years. The boys at the bar said, anyone want the dead-ass Sunday shift? I go, I want it. Next thing I know, we got football season, then I got a Friday shift, and then I'm like, where where did I go wrong in not doing this from day one? Yeah, I, yeah. I worked corporate for 15 years. I wore suits and ties. I had to shave. I had to be up at 4 a.m. What was I doing? I want to be up at 4 a.m. on the way out the door, exactly. not the way. Right. Um, so I, it's really encouraging to hear. And like, let's just tell the listeners, if you got that service job and you think it's dope, it's, it's, you know, one of the funny things, and maybe you can relate, because I was in advertising for a while as well, but I can't tell you how many times, like when I was in D.C., I worked at the bottom of an office building in one of the busiest bars in an area called Tyson's Corner. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a TGI Fridays, which makes people laugh today, but back in the day, back that in was the day. one of the best bars in town. It just uh, was. Yeah, I know and, Tyson's Corner, yeah. Yep, and uh, the toilet bowl building it was called. But yeah. anyway, um, you know, the, the, these guys would come down in their suits, sit at the bar at happy hour, and they would, you know, some of them were super nice, but some of them were kind of condescending. You know, kind of Richards, and they would be like, um, you know, uh, have you ever thought about getting uh, into sales or whatever? And you're sitting there going, yeah, um, not really. Would you like another kettle one martini? Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I am in sales. Yeah. And D-bag. They, and you know, you're, you're making probably two to three times take home what they're making. Yep. You don't have nine bosses screaming at you. Nope, you you're are. Telling jokes, meeting girls, making connections, having fun, making people feel good, and you're sleeping in. Yep. And you want... That was one of the good things that you're, you're telling jokes and no bosses. You behind the bar, you are a general, a CEO. You are in command, you know, like that bar is like this sacrosanct barrier. When you're behind it, you're like, I can literally do whatever I want and you're still going to give me money. <laughs> yeah. And if you're, if you're really into it and having fun, um, you, you can get away with a lot in a way that you, w- things you can say behind the bar. You cannot. Someone said once, a bartender, a very clever one said, you know, the thing about bartending is I get tipped $5 for saying things on this side of the bar that I get slapped in the face for on the other side. <laughs> yep, yep. And exactly. So you're, you're, you're a lifer. You had a quick foray into advertising, yada, yada, yada. Um, but let's circle it in with your, your extracurricular interests, which were sounded like actual academic interests in this architecture and CAD stuff, because that's sort of the, that's sort of the nest egg of nest egg. That's not what I wanted. The nascent beginnings of where you are now. How did, what was the epiphany or was it organic when you were like, wait, I got this interest. I got this talent, 
but I also love be- being behind the bar. Let's let's smush them together. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think I just kind of um, blindly stumbled through a lot of it, but I I couldn't see through the fog. But I saw, you know, kind of on the other side. I kind of knew where I wanted to end up, but there wasn't a path to get there. Right. And one of the things that happened, and I'll never forget this. I was dating a woman in, uh, in my early twenties and living in Syracuse, New York. And she was getting frustrated because uh, her friends were doctors and things. And I think she was a little embarrassed that I was a bartender. Mm -hmm. And I would always introduce myself. And I still do a lot. Um, You know, people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a bartender. Um, Not quite as much anymore just because I feel it's a little insincere because I don't actually, you know, stand behind the wood anymore. Right. But I'd always say, I'm a bartender. And she goes, but you're so much more than a bartender. I'm like, yeah, but that's at the root of what I do. So we were having a conversation and she said, I can't explain to anyone what it is that you do. Like, what do you do? And I said, I don't know. But what I do know is in eight years, I want to be sitting at a desk with my feet up saying, ooh, January the 19th? No, I'm booked. Uh, I've got something in March, and I'm this much a day, and this is what I can do. I remember the day I was sitting at my desk, and that call was taking place, and I started laughing on the phone, and I put my feet on the desk just to fulfill the prophecy or whatever. But um, I, I always have been someone who looks at everything and I, I think maybe a lot of us do this, but I'm always in my head going, I could fix that. I yep. can make that cooler. I can make that better. Yep. I can make that more fun. I can make people happier. And any place that I could kind of improve things I wanted to. Yeah. So I always had managers, like I had a manager at Fridays once who um, was trying to promote me to manager and, and I'd laugh and I'd say, so wait, let me get this straight. You want me to take a giant pay cut, get up at six in the morning, get screamed at and babysit all these servers all day instead of standing around telling jokes and having fun and getting hooked up everywhere in town. She'd, just, <laughs> yeah. she'd roll her eyes and she's like, ugh, and she'd walk away. <laughs> Bartenders, am I right? You know, and, yeah. and so I would look at, you know, all these times and all these opportunities and think, okay, what could I do for this company to help them? And so I told her I had this idea for what I wanted to do. And she, she said, um, well, do me a favor, you know, just put it all down and, you know, put it on paper and bring it to me. And I was like, oh, she said that to the wrong person. So it was about four days later. I had a color wiro bound deck. I had all the sponsorship, strategy, marketing. I'd made a video. And she's just like, who are you? And I'm just, I've always been like this. Like, I want to, I want, if you're going to try to get things done, get them done, you know? And, And I spend a lot of time daydreaming and thinking and, you know, I did that as a kid. I just kind of stared out at a window and everyone thought I was like, who's the weirdo? But I was in my head building worlds. And now I get to do that. In the real world, so. on, on the uh, on the under the auspices of this isn't quite right. I know how to make it better. This is how things can work better. I mean, I think in a very like Dunning Kruger way. I think in my twenties, I what I did think I could change the world. But, right. You know, you learn quickly that it's a we, and that's where the really cool stuff happens. So um, it was more about how can I help bring a vision I think people are going to love to life in a bigger way, in a better way, more frequently, et cetera. You know, and I, I think I thought it was going to be architecture at first. So I started studying um, our high school. Uh, Western Undercoat High School had, I think, one of the only architecture programs back in the 80s. And I was in it. And day one, the teacher said, so if you're in this class because you watch the Brady Bunch and you want to be like Mike Brady and draw cool houses, you're in the wrong class. This is all about mathematics and physics yep. and stress loads and load-bearing walls. And his message was well received. I dropped the class like a couple weeks later. I'm like, no, I don't want to do math. I want to draw. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, steered the the, the path, steered a different direction, but it never left me. The idea that, you know, I, I walk into a bar, a restaurant, a hotel. I appreciate what's beautiful, what's smart, what works, the immersion, the experience. But then I see all of the things, the loose threads or the missed opportunities or just the complete misses and go, ah, man, this place would be so awesome if they just X, Y, Z. And so now I focus on X, Y, Z a lot. I was corporate events for 10 years. So I walk into weddings or corporate affairs or whatever conferences and I go, nope, 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 nope. Wrong, 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 wrong. Different, 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 right? But one of the things that uh, I I could translate and I could... Uh, I could understand how all of our audiovisual systems worked, and I could translate from layperson, the client, of course, to our AV team into the parlance that both sides would equally agree, but I couldn't actually implement that stuff. Now, here's where you sort of separate. You are both art and precision, because not only do you design the bars and their themes and their decor, 
but you also make models of efficiency behind the bar. So that's really interesting. How do you balance that? Well, that's, I think it always was and is in balance when it is approached by a group of people that have that experience and understanding. Uh-huh. So what my company really does is bar experience design. And it's, people say, well, what do you do? And it, it kind of freaks people out to say all of it. But You do do all of it. Yeah. I if mean, you look up Tobin's portfolio and his awards, it is for literally empty room becomes full bar start to finish well in blank slate and yeah. you know empty pro forma yeah. and you know we're looking at it's 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 pretty interesting but what what my real job is is to enter into an organization whether it's tiny or huge and look at where the opportunities and the gaps are and what's siloed and how to connect them um, I think because of my Star Wars nerdiness, I, I sometimes say I'm, I'm hopefully a less irritating C-3PO. Tobin is currently wearing the Rebel Alliance's uh, insignia upon his cap right now. Rebel scum, baby. Yeah, rebel scum. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I see my job as it's not to come in and say, I know all and this is what you should do. It's okay. It's to listen to everyone. Right. See where they're trying to go and recognize where those roadblocks and hurdles are going to be or the missing the gaps and try to connect those people and say, okay, we've, you know, you've got this great brand identity package you've put together and there's a DNA package and we've got a, you know, it's Rockwell or, um, you know, Acro, we've got these great designers on board, but, oh man, in the ops piece, there's a big gap or maybe there's a gap in the conversation between them. So I'm trying to listen to all sides and then either um, bring in specific ideas, plans, actions, technologies, whatever, or I'm just simply trying to translate for them so that they understand each other better because, you know, a bartender doesn't get that you can't just move a piece of equipment wherever you want once the floors have been poured because the MEPs and the engineering, mechanical engineering is in place. The GC isn't going to listen to that. And it's just trying to help everyone kind of get what they all think they want, but really tighten up everything so that the guest walks in and has a mind blowing experience. The employee has a great experience and the investors have a great experience, the one they want, right. a scalable, profitable brand. Right, and that that is immensely compelling because you know you walk be when I walk behind a friend's bar, you know I've some of my friends' bars. I'm like, oh, now does that mean that they did it their way or were they working within constraints of the building? Because we're in New York, you know the building oh, all yeah. the New building already, the building already exists, yep. so those pipes are where those pipes are. Or was it half of me just so acclimatized to being behind my bar that when they walk behind my bar, they'll be like, nope, all wrong back here too. I don't know. But what, what's compelling about what you have to do beyond the engineering and stuff is, you know, you've got Ace Hotel on one side, quirky, cool, typewriters in the room, you know? Yeah, yep. I've worked with Ace Hotel. Yeah, and then, so. and then you've also got... Outback Steakhouse. So you've got these two completely divergent, both corporate cultures and what the bar is trying to get across. I mean, what's what's the approach from each of those? Well, the, the approach... Not saying one's better than the sure, other. Yeah, No, not at all. We wouldn't ever disparage the, the Bloomin' Onion. Why would we do that? It's, uh, <laughs> you know what? Everybody loves the Bloomin' Onion. Even though it's 7,942 calories, it's a pretty good 7,942 calories. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's the stuff that probably is going to put people to sleep. So we'll go through it fast, but honestly, the approach with everyone is listening. Yeah. Part of your job, I think is anyone who is a designer, a problem solver, a consultant, et cetera, is to not just give the client what they ask for, but it's to figure out what the client really wants and if their culture and their resources are capable of it. Right. Um, I think one of my favorite uh, stories I was reading a long time ago. Uh, it was the guy that designed the Jawbone. Remember that the little Jawbone? Yeah, the little yeah, yeah. the little guy. Uh, they're making a comeback, but yeah, probably the guys who stiffed you at that bar in uh, in DC wore those. It would would be wearing them today, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and he, he's he, this designer was also asked to do a lot of Apple's packaging, and he was saying uh, how. Uh, every client calls and says, we want to be the next Apple of our industry. And his stock answer was, do you have the nuts to be Apple? Do you know what it takes to be Apple? Crazy shit. And well, it's a great lesson because everyone comes to me and says, we want to have the best bar or make the most money or, or have the best cocktails. And I'm like, do you know what that, I mean, 
Do you have any idea what it takes to be one of the best bars in the world? Do you know the work that Leo Robichek puts into Nomad or the guys at Broken Shaker? Or know, Dead Rabbit or, yeah. yeah. Jillian at Dead Rabbit. Yeah. And also, all of them. All of them. You trace any one of these people, they've been working on these ideas before the idea existed and they work day and night and the amount of talent, work, sacrifice, that's not what most of these companies are capable of yeah. or, or what they really want to do. Well, it's also generational because you rattled off some names. You know, a couple of my friends are protégés of uh, Sasha Petrovsky, right? Yeah. The late, great Sasha. The late, great. Um, and, you know, they're, they're protégés of him and they're like, we have not even come close to making it and they've opened dozens of bars on their own, but they don't, they, he never stopped. And they're like, we can't stop until we can meet up to like, it's like, we got to meet up to his legacy. And that's a, that is sort of a really cool goal to like be inspired to be like, this is his legacy. We are his legacy. And they're out there cranking it out, trying to make the best possible product. Absolutely. So, you know, the difference between an Ace Hotel and an Outback um, isn't just also about maybe some of the, um, the uh, culture or the design aesthetic or even the programming and the operations. You've got to look at the companies. And right. this is kind of the piece that where I think I get called a lot more than um, I used to when I was just doing cocktails and things. And that's, you know, there's a business case here. Outback Steakhouse is a publicly traded company, yep. a parent company, and they've got to worry about things like you know, shareholder value. They've got to worry about things like cap tables. And there's a lot more going on than Ace, Ace Hotel, who their investor level, it's not that they don't care about those same things, but it's a different model. Yeah. You know, are you a real estate model? Are you asset heavy? Are you asset light? I think the more time I can spend um, on this earth trying to solve problems, the more it all starts to come together. And you realize it's this is the missing piece in the hospitality industry are people who have boots on the ground yep. standing behind a bar. They know the workflows. They know what a, you know, chamber vacuum sealed sous vide, uh, oleosaccharum is and why it matters. I don't, <laughs> but they also understand the change in the, uh, real estate market in hospitality between the middle East and China and the growth and how tariffs on steel affect the business. That's amazing. And that's kind of where I spent, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And my time now, if I'm not designing, so the, there's the business side and then there's right. the creative side, right? And and that that's a that's a really accurate point because so many I'm gonna go open a bar. It'll be fun, they said, right? <laughs> guess how long that bar lasts, right? <laughs> or or guess how long that idea that it's gonna be fun lasts? Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Like uh, um, I host pub quiz and I've been doing it for years, and people are like, um, blah 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 pub quiz. Oh, that's just a fun night. And I go. No, you idiot. <laughs> it's specifically designed to keep you in the bar. And on the pub quiz, other, other pub quiz hosts are like, oh, it's a fun night, and I'm going to make it fun. I'm like, no, idiot. It's to turn a dead night into a good night at a business, you dumbass. Right? <laughs> no one gets that. Everything that happens in a bar, if, if you're a good bar owner or businessman or woman, everything that happens in a bar is to get people to stay there and drink more and make more money done right so how do we make that experience what what do you want you're you walk in the bar and you see what do you want to see um well I, let's back up for a second i think it would be uh irresponsible to to just agree wholeheartedly with what you just said oh I, please no come, i think it's, no no come it, it the business side of it is important i've always said that the bar business is like a reverse mullet 
business up front, party in back. No, other way around. Yeah. Yeah, got Business it. in the back, party in the, in the front. front. Yes. You know, there needs to be a business case. You've got to be smart about your controls, your systems, your buying, your costing, your P&Ls, your balance sheets, all of it. It all has to make sense. Your, right. Your lease negotiation. But at the end of the day, that stuff should all be left in the back, and it shouldn't be the bean counters making the critical decisions that affect the guest experience. It should be the hospitality professionals, the talented people up front or mm-hmm. in the kitchen who get what people want and how to give it to them and make them love the place. Yes, it's about making money, but I think people can see the dollar signs in your eyes, and if you don't genuinely have a passion for making people feel good and have fun, I don't know that you're cut out to be a tastemaker or a long-term lifer who will thrive in, in our industry. Um, and I think that's a, an important point is realize that they're not mutually exclusive. No. You can be a savage, a, a, a samurai in the boardroom and be, you know, you can be Gandhi in the, in the dining room. Right. It, they're, they're not mutually exclusive because ultimately it's about caring about everyone. So if you care about the guest... You don't necessarily want to fleece their pockets or you know empty their pockets. No. Y- you want to make sure they have fun, but if you care about the investors and the owners, you know they need to make money to keep giving that experience to people. So it's sort of like a gray Jedi. You know, it's yeah, not Sith, I it's gotcha. not Jedi. I gotcha. it's, it's, there is no good or bad. There's yeah. both and make it work. Yeah, you're walking a tightrope. I would go Dungeons and Dragons and say, uh, uh, true neutral. You know, you're not you're not chaotic evil throwing babies off ledges, but you're not like lawful good where you're like, I shall save ye, fair maiden. You're a little bit, a little bit dancey dance in the middle. And if people want to spend your time when you're behind the bar arguing whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich, hot dog is oh shit, I did careful. this one before. Hot dog is not a sandwich. <laughs> if if you want to spend that time, um, that's a good thing for a bar. That's a really hard conversation to have with a CFO or a CMO and talking about, listen, um, we're training our staff on things like real hospitality, yeah. how to talk to human beings. Yeah. Because we don't do that much anymore. Do we train? Do you implement training systems for that? Absolutely. Okay, so this is this is something that is completely alien to me. When we talk, start talking brick and mortar and stuff like that, uh, wow! I, I didn't even i I guess we're in Las Vegas, and this is the hospitality capital of the world, if not the hospitality, one of the hospitality where if someone has a bad user experience, bye, you walk out the door to the next place, right? So, how do we train staff? Well, I mean, I'm not even sure if it's... So, okay, one of the things about teaching staff that I get excited about these days is it's called high-volume hospitality. Mm -hmm. And the idea is there was this model that was sort of an either-or for the whole time I've been in the industry. You either chase after volume or percentage. You're either going to be super busy and just put money in the register, or you're trying to give this enlightened, uh, this elevated experience. Yes. Why can't you do both? Right. Because that's kind of how I spent my bartending career was trying to do both. Right. Why should a bartender only be good at one thing? Why should they only be like great at cocktails or funny or fast or whatever it is? Why can't we train uh, an army of bartenders and really of managers and, and thinkers and leaders that says, why can't we just do it all? Yeah. Why, why can't we leverage the best of science, neuroscience, technology, biomechanics, design, equipment, all of it. So oh, you're you're uh, you're the Wizard of Oz. Oh, you're behind. You're man, behind. I hope not. Oh no. Oh I, well, he was a fraud. But yeah, you're kind be- of a massive one. Yeah, but you're thanks. right. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, we're we're gonna go with something else where um, it's like up here, your arms above the above above the waist, your arms are all calm, but below they're moving smoothly and rapidly in precision. Your legs are moving smoothly and rapidly in precision, so all people see above is a calm demeanor but ultimately you just made everything so much more efficient and faster that it seems like you're calm and cool but you're really hustling absolutely be the calm during the storm yeah it's like bump skiing you watch a great bump skier look at their waist up doesn't Uh doesn't move doesn't move but the waist down is just going crazy unbelievable yeah there's a, a friend of mine who did a lot to help my career out he's in this town his name is ken hall he's a like an eight-time world bartending champion He's the most efficient bartender that I ever worked with or saw. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, you know, talking about speed with bartenders is like a dangerous area to, to tread into because I'm faster than you. But I don't mean he has the fastest hand speed. 
I'm saying that that man can make more drinks correctly quicker with less movement and waste and put more money Economy accurately motion. in the register exactly yeah. than anyone I've ever seen. And that was the first lesson really that, that got me thinking about how to change the way bars are designed is nobody is talking to Ken and saying, how would you design a bar? I mean, you, you put more money in the register while making quality drinks for the most amount of people than anyone that works here. Why are we not tapping your brain? What are we doing wrong? What, right. could, what, would, what would you do if you could design a bar? Oh. Every, I'm, I, and you, might, yeah. you might be an exception, but almost every bartender who's been behind the wood for more than a month has at one point either thought about, daydreamed, dreamt, sketched what they would, how they'd like to set their bar up, how they would design their bar. And that's really the crux of it is the engine, is what can we right. do to eliminate all the wasted movement so the bartender can spend more time making better drinks faster while keeping their eyes up, scanning the room, and yep. engaging the guest at a higher level. I mean, it's, it's, it's ergonomics at the most base level. There's an old adage in racing. I, I, I might butcher it, but it's like, slow is smooth. And smooth is fast, yep. you know? So it's like, you look like, if you see a, an amazing race car driver, you're like, he's barely moving. Well, you're right. He is taking every turn at the exact spot, so he's barely turning. Every apex is perfect. So yep. you're like, none of this, no herky-jerky motions. Yeah, slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, so you want everything to just fall to hand. Like, while you're, while you're engaging with the customer, you know, right behind you, right here, is that exact Guest, guest, guest. Uh, let's bring very, it. Let's bring it back. Uh, very Vegas. Right now, no. It's very hospitality. It's yeah. OG. It's old school. Oh, I just call yeah. my regulars dickheads. <laughs> oh, that's appropriate sometimes <laughs> yeah, too. Though I'm, yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Well, right now the dickheads in front of me, and I'm like, oh, it's 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 Dave. So there's the Bud Light for Dave, and yep. the Jameson's right there, and I hate it. Yeah, I hate it when you grab the Jameson and you pick it up and you start pouring it, and someone moved the Jameson. The Jameson's supposed to be right. There yeah. and someone just swapped one bottle. They they put a they put the Tito's where the Jameson was, and yeah. then your whole day is messed up. All right, so you want to go down a rabbit hole right yes, now? Yes, please, let's right. do it. So you want for that Jameson that's always been where it is. Yes. Your brain, if you've been doing it for roughly five to ten years, starts to myelinate that process. So it creates the super the neural pathways in your brain start to get insulated so that the electrical signal passes through faster and more efficiently yep. so that you can be faster at grabbing that bottle. Right. You don't need your brain or your eyes. There's yes. no frontal lobe activity. I don't. This is all procedural memory. Correct. Consolidation down the brainstem, boom, autopilot. Right. When you can do that, you drop into what we all call the zone or flow state, transient hypofrontality. This is thought or action without thought. This is Kaizen. Uh -huh. This is what every bartender who's ever been in the shit knows the best part of bartending is when you just feel it. And yeah. Just, just like a basketball yeah. player or anybody else, right? Yeah. Okay, so you're in the zone. Yeah. And everything is happening in slow motion and you're perfect and you're on point and you feel the energy and it's the perfect night and you turn around and you go to grab that Jameson and it's a Tito's. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with Tito's. Tito's an awesome dude. Tito's is but great. you didn't want the Tito's. No. What happens now? Boom, you pop out of transient hypofrontality, you break flow state, you're not in the zone, it stops, you don't have muscle memory, you took longer, it affects your confidence, it affects the rush of the four brain chemicals that made you feel great, they're gone, yep. and all of a sudden, as you said, the world falls apart. Yes. And it's anarchy and chaos. It is. Cats and dogs living together just Mass like hysteria. Bill Murray yes. prophesized. Um, so... Yeah. You're going to design the workspace so that this works like this 24-7 and hopefully with ergonomic science that it is innate from the onset so you don't have to be behind the same similar bar because the only reason I know where everything is is because I only work behind one bar. I grab, it's there. I grab, it's there. I know where everything is. You're going to design or you design spaces that innately fall to hand. Booyakasa. Awesome. All right. It took a roundabout way to get there, but that is, that is. Welcome to my brain. Because let's go through the history of the bar world. These were not considerations. It was, it was, it was, it was throwing the child into the cotton gin to pull it out. And if he lost a hand in the process, we'll get another child. No one thinks like this. A bar is just there. You got some shelves, you got a soda gun, you got some taps, boom, we're done. We talk sometimes, bartenders, about some of the funny stuff we see in movies and TV. Can I get a beer? Right, and, <laughs> or, or yeah, no, not, that's the real world bartending. Whiskey, I'm, neat. 
Exactly. Can I get a beer? Yeah, yeah. sure. Do you yeah. want to, anything more specific? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have many beers. Sure. No, but in the, in specifically in TVs and movies, for example, I was watching, there was a commercial on yesterday for uh, a beer brand, a big beer brand, and they had redesigned the bar for the commercial. No one else noticed or cared, but every bartender I know is like, really? A back bar with nothing but pint glasses on it? Why would you elevate pint glasses? Oh my God. Out of reach. Makes no sense. Uh-huh. It's a silly detail, but it what it signals is a symptom of tens and tens and thousands and hundred thousands of hospitality employees and nurses and teachers and people in all blue collar fields yeah. that their workspaces have been defined by people that never did their jobs. So someone in oh advertising, a, a PA, an art director, none of these people are ever going to realize that's an absurd thing to put out into the right. public and they're going to say it doesn't matter. It does matter. It does. Authenticity matters. Efficiency matters. And it matters to care about the people that are making all that money for you. Right. So when we look at a bar, we think about, yes, I get the designer wants the perfect beauty shot for the, all the press hits, and we'll get you that. Yeah. But I also need to make this bar functional so that those bartenders can put the money in that register, and that dollar that goes over the bar into the register has a lot more profit margin than the dollar that goes into the food in the kitchen in the back. Oh, hell yes. By a, by every, I mean, if you don't know I, that, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's it, 101. By, but. Yeah, by, by magnitudes. Sure. By, by immense magnitudes. God damn it, you just said something, and you were so compelling that I... Freaking forgot what I was oh, going to say. Too bad we didn't record this. I know, uh, I know. Well, I'm not rewinding. Whatever. Okay, we let, yeah, we'll good. we'll let it run. But that is that is a really you know the bar the bar the concept of the bar is in essence was in essence an oral tradition. The bar looked like this and worked like this for let's say. 200 years, right? Because before then we had taverns, so it wasn't the bar as we really know it. And there were public houses or there were road houses and there were pubs in Britain and stuff like that. But the bar bar as we know is maybe, what, what do you think? Uh, well, 1870s, so, 1860s? So it was a company called B.A. Stevens out of Toledo, Ohio. That, there we go. Yeah, in 1905 came out with a first set of work boards, they were called. There was mm-hmm. the number 12 and I think the number 27. And it was a standardized way to put uh, counters and a couple of sinks and a place for some whiskey and some beer. Right. And this was the first time we had any kind of manufacturing around this. And there was all kinds of innovations that came out between about 1899 and about 1954, from things like uh, when we came out with stainless steel, yep. uh, the John Gorey ice machine, uh, we had MIT inventing the first GUI graphical user interface, which would turn in, which became AutoCAD and design. Yep. As all these things came around, these industries popped up that had a lot of money that started to put together a plan on how to build a bar. What is amazing, and probably half the reason that I have the current career that I do, is not one time did anyone stop and say maybe we should ask the people that work behind these bars how they should be designed. Right. Maybe they'd have some insights as right. to how they'd go. Well, that's changed and that's happening. And it didn't start with me. In fact, I was inspired kind of my uh, break the four minute mile moment was when I was in Europe and I met a sort of a legendary bartender that I admired very much named Salvatore Calabrese. Uh, that is a strong name. Yeah. The maestro is his nickname. I mean, he's set. Yeah, yeah, I know. Super, I know. He's super know. cool, yeah, isn't he? My nickname is El Gato. Like, so <laughs> he wins. But anyway, uh, he had a company create bartender designed bar equipment. And that was a moment I had been wanting to do it and trying to convince people to do it and doing custom fab. And all of a sudden I went, holy shit, it's possible. I'm doing this. And that led me down the path to try to create a station that bartenders, the hope was a bartender would walk up, see the station, step in behind it, and go, I get it. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I the reaction we were hoping and for. And by the way, if you're near your computer or you have time, you can look at the uh, the Tobin Ellis line on Perlick. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Perlick. 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 And it these are these are remarkable works of art because they are it, you're right. Everything is exactly there. That is next to that is next to that with a drawer below it and your well is right there. It's it's pretty freaking cool. And there's that that anyone can, you know, any fledgling business can get that, plug it in and have the bar ready to go. Yeah, it's catalog. It's NSF commercial catalog all over the world, so it's it's really cool to see 
um, the change. And it's not just me. There's an army of my brothers and sisters and friends and colleagues around the world who are making bartender-designed products. Right. From Charles Jolie's A Smoking Box by Forteza. You've got Jackson Cannon's Bar Knife. Simon Ford reinvented the liter bottle to be more ergonomic and to have measurements on the side for taking inventory and pre-bottling cocktails. To And it goes on and on and on and on. There are so many bartender uh, inventions that right. make so much sense and it's an exciting time, I think, to be in the industry because we're seeing the effects of these changes. And now we're seeing, I mean, I, I go to a Golden Knights game the other day. Yep. And I've got my buddy to- Tony Abuganum, who set up a program. I'm having a barrel-aged Negroni in an arena watching a hockey game yep. over a large format piece of hand-shipped ice. Yep. And it didn't take 11 minutes to get it. Nope. Tim Rita knocks it out in you know a minute and a half or whatever it was. So it's... It's where everyone's starting to get to enjoy all of this innovation and creativity. Whereas before it was like, you had to know the guy, you know, you had to know where Dave Arnold was working in New York to see the cool uh-huh. nitro muddling or whatever. Yep, and, yep, 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 yep. And now we're all yeah, connected. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Or you would have to go to a place like, uh, oh, I was going to say the name of the bar, but I'm not going to say it, where you'd go and you'd be like, oh, the cocktails here are so good. Give it 15 minutes to get one because there's one guy behind in his fucking suspenders with his <laughs> fucking bow tie taking forever to make one fucking drink for you. And you're like, wow, this is really great. Can we leave now so I can actually have another drink? Because I get it. Yep, It's a problem that needs to be solved. But I don't get it. You know, you know the difference between a bartender and a mixologist? Uh, one of them lives in Brooklyn, rides a fixie and is a douchebag, and the other <laughs> and the other makes an honest living. <laughs> that's a, I've got a shorter answer. <laughs> what's that? So what's the difference between a bartender and a mixologist? Well, what's the difference, Tobin? About fifteen minutes. <laughs> uh, um, no, and there is there has been a very strong backlash to the whole idea of the suspended bow tied ironic spoon tattooed bartender. Yeah, and um, part of that is we as an industry. We celebrated, and rightfully so, we celebrated this basic idea that, gosh, you know, shouldn't we care about what goes in the glass? That's true. Shouldn't we take out all the carcinogens and processed flavors and put in some real ingredients and some better distilled products and, yep. and actually know what the hell we're doing like chefs do? Yep. We don't have a French brigade system, or we didn't on the bar. We, there was no national training fa- uh, pro, uh, platform. There is now. There's several. No, no yeah. Accreditations, right. right. Yeah, and if a bartender walks into a normal bar and it's like, I went to bartending school, you'd be like, <laughs> you got ripped off. Yeah. But now. Right. And and I think, you know, it's it's realizing again the idea that sort of, I have sort of a, I don't know if it's a balance or a bipolar view of it. In, it's kind of like people that make fun of New York but live there. You have the right to make fun of New York when you live there, but no yes. one else does. Oh, correct. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. as a bartender. It's a trash bag, but it's our trash bag. Exactly. It's your hefty bag. Yeah. And as a bartender, I love all bartenders and I love everyone who loves what they love about bartending. Yeah. And externally, don't fuck with bartenders. Listen, muggle folk, stay away from the bartenders. Exactly. Stop giving them a hard we, time. We can fuck with you internally, but externally, yeah, uh-uh. Internally, unified front. Internally, I'm trying to get a lot of people who are super passionate about what goes in the glass yeah. to see what goes on in the room. Yeah. And for the bartenders who only think what matters is what's in the room, I'm trying to get them to see what's in the glass. Uh-huh. Gray Jedi. Yeah. Balance. I got you. I I'm got trying you. to bring... Bring balance to the force, Austin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So I guess I got a little bit of that. Uh, I got a little bit of that gray area. I'm always looking at the door, yada, yada, yada. I'm always chatting people up, yada, yada, yada. Um, but then, you know, someone will come in and be like, can I get a blah, blah, blah cocktail? And, go, nah. and you make fun of them. No. Yeah, no, you do. A little no, bit. No, I'll just literally go. A little, smart, little snarky. I'll just, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll do that. I'll do. <laughs> okay. Ask, ask for some cocktail I've never heard of before. I'm behind the bar. I'll do it. Sure. Can I get a monkey shoulder? Eh, nah. It's not a cocktail. It's, it's a, a spirit. <laughs> I was just checking you. No, we no. don't have it. I'll give you a widow, Jane. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, and that's that's part of it too. Is like it's it's finding that balance between. Look, you're behind the bar. You should be more than funny and yeah, good looking. Yeah. You kind of probably should know how to make classics. There's a reason they've been around for yeah, I can make years, a couple of classics. Years. Yeah, but when you start going off the reservation, I'm like, there. Yeah. No, and that's that's totally understandable. You know, other side of the coin. You know, it's probably cool if you look up and smiled and shook a hand or got to know someone's name, right. And didn't just pontificate over whether or not the light was hitting the right side of the hand chiseled two by two that, <laughs> with your Japanese, you know, three prong. And, and, and that's and and there are people doing it. I mean, right. I'll, I'll tell you, my right now one of my favorite bars in Manhattan is Katana Kitten. 
Katana Kitten. I'm not oh, familiar with that. God. Where is that? It's uh, West Village. Uh, it's right down the street from, I think it's a block from EO. Employees only. I was going to bring it up, but I didn't get to it yet. Sure. I, the, I, I'm told you have an EO tattoo. Okay, I do. And there's a story that'll go with it. All right. So there it is. And there it is. That is the iconic employees only logo. Yeah. So in oath, I don't even remember now. Secret, secret. 08, 09, whatever. Um, the friends that, that run the place that own it and the people that work yep, there, yep. you know, um, Dushan, Dev, the whole crew, they're, they're good friends. And um, I was getting some work done, this work at Tales of the Cocktail. Yep. Um, Can it, we take a picture of that? Because that is amazing. I, I went up to Dushan and I said, could I have your, would it be okay? Would it, I have your permission to put your, the EO tattoo on, on my body, even though I don't work there? Because it was only the staff had it. Right. And he said, that'd be amazing. He said, uh, I said, is that, I mean, that's cool. He goes, yeah, he's only one other person or one other regular has ever done that. You'd be the second one. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I went and did it that morning. That night, they won best cocktail bar in the world. No way. So they're all in a circle drinking their Fernet. And I, and I walk up and I just pull my arm out and I just go, boom. And they're like, what? <laughs> and now, of course, it's, it's um, as a testament to them, but also, you know, it's become kind of ubiquitous and it's even kind of like, oh, you got an EO tattoo, huh? But, but I back up and go, wait a minute. You're making fun of someone yep. because friends of mine who had an idea yep. to open their own bar are so successful yep. at it that, that people, people are putting are it on their again, body. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the old um, uh, Metallica the black album comes out and like reporters like, what do you say to your old fans that say you sell out? And then uh, Lars goes, yeah, we sell out every fucking stadium we play, you know? <laughs> uh, and I love EO. Yeah. It is sometimes a madhouse, but when you get there, but hey, if it's a madhouse, go somewhere else, explore another bar, and go there when it's quieter and enjoy the place. And that goes for all of those places. You know, you got to go enjoy them. You know, go to Little Branch. Just don't go on a Friday night, exactly. you know? Uh, and go, I, to, go to Raul's. Yeah. Go to Raul's and enjoy that old world like that just is organic and amazing and institutional. I loved how you said Fernet because, you know, in New York... You know, I don't know what it's like here, but Fernet is like the automatic, like, hey, can I get a, you know, hey, you know, it really doesn't matter. What do you have, a Budweiser or, you know, a High Life and a shot of Fernet? And the bartender immediately goes, oh, you're one of us. The Fernet is the handshake. <laughs> the handshake. The, the Fernet Bronca is literally the handshake. You order a Fernet and the bartender goes, gotcha. We're going to be friends. Yep. Uh, there's other, there's a couple other, there's a couple other little handshakes the, out the there. The Negroni has become Negroni one. is a handshake. What that, I, what I really love is the, I've, I've, as a, one of the handshakes is the snackery or the DTO, the daiquiri timeout. Uh huh. So, um, just having a, I am not familiar with this. Oh, this is great. So it's become a thing and it, it, you'll either talk about, Hey, let's just have some snackeries, which is a small fresh daiquiri. So just rum. Ah, snackery. Yeah. Rum, sugar, lime, right? Yeah. yeah. That's it. Or a DTO, a daiquiri timeout. And I'm like, I I, that didn't start in the bartending world. Where, where's that from? Where did I hear that? Where did I hear that? So my girlfriend and I are watching uh, um, uh, Wedding Crashers, and DTO <laughs> is what um, <laughs> Christopher Walken says to uh, Bradley Cooper. Right, when Brad, Co- Brad Cooper says, Hey, let's uh, we'll get some uh, daiquiri timeouts, you know, and, and, and like, oh, and they stop. And I'm like, holy shit, that's so much funnier. Yeah. Daiquiri so. timeout. I'm not familiar with that because I don't work in the daiquiri kind of bar. That's all right. Uh, but the Fernet, the Fernet is there. Um, I, I, well, hey, why don't we go down this, this road? Let's pop open that apple core. Let's talk about some cocktails that are accessible that the that you can make at home um, that maybe your local bar has the ingredients for you've just never encountered before because everyone goes like there's the the down east or the east cider or the whatever and we're talking you're getting into chartreuse and 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 boutique gins and botanicals sure. but there's got to be some cool cocktails out there other than the classics the manhattans and stuff like that what do you what 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 clicks your clicks your pony that's not even a wow. phrase that's my pony i don't want to know the images that are flying through my head with an internet uh, search but um 
You know, man, disappointing answer for you. It's the classics is kind of what I wish. Yeah. And I think we all do that. Every bar could just get over and not really think they're such a big deal. Yeah. And it's happening. There's a lot of dive bars and bartenders now. They're like, "Uh, yeah, you want a Negroni? Yeah, sure. No problem. You want a twist or what? Okay, cool. And Negroni's one to one to one. So you're not really doing anything. But but I mean, in the same, you know, in the same sense, one of my answers would be a daiquiri. Every bar has some form of sugar. Yeah. Every bar has rum. Yep. Every bar has, hopefully has at least a lime line around somewhere. Yep. Cut the lime, squeeze the juice out. It's two one one. If you want to keep it simple, I mean, yep. yeah, yeah, somewhere now someone's going, "Oh my gosh, he just said two one one daiquiri." That's so wrong. It's really we all know it's two half one. And someone else is like, "What are you talking about?" And then my friend in Chicago is going, "Oh my god, what is with the equal parts last word? It's not equal parts." And we just created a shitstorm in the bartending world. But but it's it doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. And and we've gone back to parts so that everyone can understand. You can geek out if you want, but parts means what do you have a, a bottle cap of a, a water bottle that is a part there you go two bottle caps of rum yep. one bottle cap of sugar one bottle cap of lime that's a, margarita that's daiquiri that's so many of them yeah that, and it's just a ratio you know yeah. figure it out and and uh okay so now what do you think because i see in part of your uh, signature line you have uh cock- pre-mixed cocktail chillers What's the future of that? Because that seems to be coming up a lot. You get a lot of cocktails on draft. Is that walking a fine line? Do you have to be skilled to sort of get it right the first time? Or is there a little bit of experimentation? Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so we've got a, we've, I've got a, in my equipment line of my name that I can't say, cause then I sound like George Costanza referring to myself in the third person. <laughs> George is getting very angry. Um, but, uh, in late least, latex, Vandalay industries, yep, Vandalay. Exactly. So, um, is anyone in, here a marine biologist? <laughs> George is, a- <laughs> all right, no, stop, stop, stop. We could do this for hours. I know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in the, in my signature line by Perlick, one of the things we just came out with this year is a draft cocktail system. And what we were trying to do is people were already doing it. We didn't invent draft cocktails. We were trying to figure out how to solve for one of the biggest problems, which is separation. Beer and wine and kegs don't separate cocktails do. Correct. Viscosity, specific gravity, et cetera. Yes. So we think we solve for that. And really, um, when I was working with Starbucks, we talked about, um, dispense a lot as well. The idea behind dispense is going back to that joke of, you know, the what's the difference between a bartender and a mixologist and that wait time. Yeah. A good friend of mine in New York, Julie Reiner, um, I asked her once, I said, she had three cocktail bars going and, and I said, so what's your fourth bar going to be? And she goes, oh, Jesus, man, I just want to open a sports bar and you make some money. It's the idea that how do we create this great experience, but shorten up those wait times right. and, and make and improve consistency and poor cost and all these things. Draft cocktails is a solution. When you think about people's perception of draft, it's funny because if I say to most Americans, not industry nerds, yes, what do you think? Would you rather have a bottled beer or draft beer? Would you draft beer? That's of course, the, that's draft, the that's fancy the thing. That's the good stuff. Blah, 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 blah. What do you have on draft? Yeah. Ask any master distiller, master blender, or any brewmaster, what kind of beer do you want to have? The Bud, beer? Budweiser bottle. No, well, <laughs> you, the key, the second word was key. Yeah. Anybody who makes beer wants you to drink their beer the way, way they it, made yes. it in the bottle. Yes. The way that it is meant to be. Then yep. they want you to pour it in a glass, but they don't know who cleaned your lines. They yep. don't know all these things. So yep. it's really, it's just more of a marketing piece. Yep. People, if I tell you milk on tap, you getting excited right now? Not at nope. all. Because you've been to La Quinta and every other little hotel for breakfast and had the draft milk. Or, you, or my college, my college yep. commissary. What do we call those? Cafeterias. Yeah. yeah. The EDRs and things, sure. So what we're doing is we're trying to change that perception by just showing people a difference. And uh, another buddy, Ryan, in San Francisco, Ryan Fitzgerald has this award-winning bar, uh, ABV, and here he has put at one point, or actually it was Beretta, they put cocktails on the soda gun. Straight in. Now, if if you put cocktails on a soda gun at an Applebee's, Right. People are going to go, that's garbage. But if you put it in a mm-hmm. high-end cocktail bar that already has the trust of the guest. That's like cool. They don't care about the delivery yeah. system. They just care about the end product. And as companies like Applebee's and Outback that you mentioned, as the, and they are, as they are starting to understand and figure out how to scale this, they're going, look, we want to do this whole cocktail thing, but our employees are here for you know four months, eight months, a year, and the training cost, and we've got 1,200 stores, and we can't have... 3,500 bartenders or 35,000 bartenders all making their drinks with fresh ingredients in different ways and taking a long time. Boom. Boom. Done. Done. And it's it's funny you should say that because it's like I've been to a couple bars where they'll 
I haven't been to a bar yet, and I'm sure you have because this is literally live, your livelihood. I haven't been to a bar yet that will have like 12 different cocktails on draft. Usually what it is, is you, you know, you'll have the bar and it'll have, you know, the requisite 16, 18, 32, whatever beer taps. And then off to the side, they'll have, there's two special ones. And it'll be, yeah, it'll be a Negroni or, uh, you know, a nicely mixed daiquiri or something like that. Um, and it's funny cause you like, you get frozen, frozen margarita machines are like, Oh, it's such a novelty. That's so cool. I'm going to go have fun with that. And then, uh, and then cocktails on draft, you're like, oh, this bar knows what's up. And it's a weird discrepancy between the two. It's, it's growing. In fact, one of the first bars that really got the draft cocktail movement going, there's a lot, there's a couple, one of them was Tavernita in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Scott and Paul Tangway and Tad Carducci together put a, a lot of cocktails on tap. Then Eric Castro uh, out in San Diego at Polite Provisions, his whole back wall is draft cocktails. You've got uh, a place that just opened in Brooklyn, and oh, I can't remember the name, but it just opened. It's almost all draft cocktails. Everyone is seeing the consistency, the poor cost, the quality, because here's what it is, right? Yes, you need one person in that building boom, that knows how to make that cocktail, yep. and they make five to 10 gallons or 30 gallons at a time, and you're good. Longer shelf life more consistency, sampling for the guest. And now when you go to hire someone training, you want to be a mixologist? Pull. Boom. Pull the lever. Welcome to the 10-second craft cocktail. Uh, And it doesn't replace the artistry or the craftsmanship. No, no. But one of the interesting conversations that I can't get into detail about, but just the general idea when I was in the Skunk Works at Starbucks is one of the brilliant engineers, had a we had a conversation about what does craft mean today versus what will it mean in 10 years. When the hammer was invented people needed to see someone or a blacksmith with a hammer using it to get the value of what they were doing. Right. Does anyone go, oh, do you guys, do you have hammers back there? What kind of hammer are you using? I need to see you using the hammer. They don't care. Just give them the product. <laughs> I like that analogy, right? 15 years ago when I, uh, no, yeah, 15 years ago when I was opening like in Poughkeepsie, New York and opening a craft, large format craft cocktail bar, we had to put all the mise en place. Which one? It's called Shadows on the Hudson. Is that in the train station? It's close to it, right down the hill. It's right on the water by the Mid-Hudson Bridge. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, they have a craft program. I should say. Right. It's a waterfront restaurant. So we had to put the mise, the mise en place on the bar top. And everyone had to do that. We had to show you the mint and the uh-huh, fruit and all uh-huh, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh, we don't have to do that anymore. No. Everyone's grandmother yeah. has heard about the craft cocktail movie. You know, you know what goes in a mojito. And if the mint just arrives, you're like... Oh, there's the mint. Yeah. You don't need to see the mint. So now that we, since craft is always evolving, how we operationalize craft and market craft has to change as well. Ah, right, right. The, again, the, the upper body, we're, we're mogul skiing again. Yep. You just mogul skied now in the whole operation of the bar's livelihood because the, your, mogul, the, your containment unit, Ghostbusters again, is down underneath and you're pulling the tap, but... Yep. But Jeffrey is the one who designed that cocktail, and he knows his shit. So there you go. You're now you're there. It's so funny you said Jeffrey because everyone that knows me is like, oh, he's talking about Morgan Thaler, that smug genius bastard. <laughs> I just figured Jeffrey would be the name of mixologist. <laughs> and by the and actually, his friends call him Jeff, but his girlfriend goes. Ah. Jeffrey. Yeah, absolutely. Right? <laughs> like, yo, Dave, 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 what are we doing? David. David, 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 David. <laughs> yo, D. Um, okay, so let's do a speed round. Uh, without, without, you know, you're not, you're not ragging on someone else, but you're just saying this is what I'm thinking of right now. Uh, best bar in Vegas. Mr. Coco. Mr. Coco. New Sh- bar. Chicago. Oh, man. Uh, there's too many. Pass. Seattle. Um, I like probably Cannons right up there. All right. Uh, LA. Uh, she did it again. Mm, Mr. Jumbo's Clown Room or Broken Shaker. Austin. Uh, I haven't been there in a few years. I, oh, wait. Uh, Half Step. Uh, Atlanta. Um, I'm going to pick a weird one. I'm going to say, uh, oh, no, 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 no. James Room. Charleston. Uh, Ask Charlotte Voicey. DC. Ooh, Columbia Room. Boston. Uh, Trick questions. Nothing's good in Boston. Boop. No, not true. <laughs> not true. Drink. <laughs> Ezra's and uh, drink and also, uh, yep, go ahead. Manhattan, not Brooklyn. Right now, 
so my heart will always belong to a few places. Like I love Campbell apartment. Oh, and, great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I love, I mean, I know like, um, you know, Swift Hiberian lounge and there's, there's so many cool places. Swift is great. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, my heart's going to always belong to EO for the experience I had yep. there when they first opened. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. And, and places like that. I mean, I guarantee we've crossed paths because my friend used to be a hardcore regular there. And that's when I was going like 15, you know, years ago, we have definitely, at least been in the same room at the same time before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I love Blacktail. I love Dead Rabbit. I yep. also, but not just cocktail bars. I mean, Daddy O's is great. Phil's a friend. Um, oh, you know what Julie's done all over Manhattan and Brooklyn with Clover Club and, you know, Flatiron. Yep. God rest its soul. You've been to uh, Manhattan Cricket Club? No, I have not. It's on 79th and, uh, 79th and Amsterdam or Broadway or something like that. Upstairs, you know, it's got, okay. it's in an Australian kind of, is it Manhattan Cricket Club? What's it called? I think it's called that. Uh, or Manhattan Rugby Club. I forgot. It's really good. <laughs> it's, it's in an Australian restaurant. There's a green leather door and you go up there. You usually have a reservation, but super cool. It's a library with some really comfy chairs and it's not pretentious at all. And they mix you really great drinks right there. Really cool place. I really like it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that'll, I'll add that to one of my uh, Google Maps. I, yeah. I, I do. I do these little speed tours where I go to a city and I'll hit 14, 18 accounts in a day. And it's mostly, for me, it's design yep. and experience. And I'm, I'm wafting through their experience and just seeing how it feels to everyone and right. snapping some photos, talking to people, seeing what people are doing well, what they want to be doing better. Always learning trying yeah always be oh that's closing never yeah mind. always be closing and Sorry. coffee coffees for coffees for closers um <laughs> well mr tobin ellis bar magic las vegas bar consultancy engineer architect renaissance man polymath mixologist d- jesus what don't you do finish <laughs> well i don't I, I don't know how to end things well you don't know how to end things well no. i do, i do which is you go back and you listen to this podcast and you take note of each of those names and you jot them down in each of those bars that tobin mentioned and you go out there and you check them out and see what you see and see what you like and let's uh let's all have a drink together let's do that let's meet at liberty in seattle which i should have said i'm gonna take shit for all right liberty in seattle <laughs> Tobin Ellis, thank you very much. Everyone have a fantastic afternoon or evening. I don't, fuck you, I don't know. (laughs) Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.